some things that you may not know about me, but I will um, maybe dispel some myth. I did not attend an Ivy League school. I didn't graduate at the top of my class. I'm not the founder, inventor, CEO, or visionary of any company. I am a trustee of nothing more than my personal belongings, and barely that. I have never received an honorary doctorate from any university, seminary, or college anywhere in the United States. I have not been named the most influential or listed as the most attractive or voted most likely to succeed. I am not a rising star in any field, industry, or arena. I have not written a New York Times bestseller, and no one has publicly endorsed, recommended, or vouched for me. I don't have any letters after my name. I can't charge an exorbitant an hourly fee for my time. I don't speak on any circuits or have given any TED Talks. And have been, I have not been the keynote speaker any less than one time. No buildings, streets, or hospitals have been named in my honor. I have an unimpressive family background and do not come from a long line of important people. Hi, my name's Ken Simon. Welcome to church. And guess what? It's okay that I'm that way, and it's just fine. Why? Because God is utterly unimpressed by my resume. He might scoff even at my attempt um, to be important or to prove my worthiness. Our accomplishments do not justify our existence. Our Accolades cannot merit us any greatness with God. God is unimpressed by our social media likes, our tweets, our friends on Facebook, our connections, or our our admirers. There are actually a lot of people in this world who make stuff up about themselves so that they sound more impressive than they really are. They like to think about the old days of when they used to be something other than what they really are. And they're greater in their own mind than they've ever been in real life. They make up stories about how good of athletes they were or how brilliant they were at their school. Of course, their school only had five people in it. So what happens is is we, we get mixed up on what's really important and we often forget that What we have doesn't make us any more usable to God than just being who we are. As a matter of fact, God isn't looking for impressive. He is looking for authentic, genuine, and faithful. He can use someone who is trustworthy about who they are and know that they can only accomplish anything of significance because God has empowered them. Matter of fact, In Zechariah 4, 6, it says this, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. If you think you can accomplish anything without God, you're only kidding yourself, and there won't be much ink spilled about you in the history books of time. When any man or woman steps up to do what God's called them to do, What is done for the kingdom of God is done by the Spirit of God working in them. We now come to a little unknown judge in the book of Judges as we go through this study of this book, 
and there isn't a lot of ink spilled on him, yet he has had a profound influence and work in people's lives throughout the history, and his name is Shamgar. How many people here know Shamgar? Oh, there's a few of you, like two. All right, so let me read, I'm going to read the entire story of Shamgar to you right now, and it says this. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. End of story. Go home. Not a lot spilled about him. There's not a lot told to us about who Shamgar is. Matter of fact, here's a little bit of stuff that you probably wouldn't know unless you looked it up and did a little bit of a study on him. But Shamgar is not an Israel... Israeli name, it's not a Hebrew name. And matter of fact, even worse than that, is his dad, Anath, is he's named after a god, not God Jehovah, but a false god, an idol from the Philistines. So here's the history that we get about his family just from those two things. Shamgar's grandmother and grandfather became idol worshipers. They were of the lineage of Israel, they were, they were Hebrews who had conquered the land and come and, and lived in the land, but somewhere along the line, they decided it was more fun to worship this god, Anath, and they also named their first and only son, Anath, after that god. And then Anath, following in his mom and dad's footsteps, when he got married, he named his son Shamgar, which is a Canaanite name. And so you have this Israeli... Hebrew boy that's named after some foreign person he's never met before from another country. Not very impressive and not very noteworthy as far as it comes to putting your name on the family tree. Matter of fact, I think that their family tree was pretty thin. There wasn't a lot on it. Not a lot of branches. There were a few, but not many. But here's what the problem is, is that the at this point in history, the plight of Israel, things had gotten so bad that rather than taking you know, the major roads to get from town to town or from the, the lake to the, the city or whatever, wherever they were going, the Israelites decided they were going to take the scenic route and they would hide. And, and we know that because in Judges 5, 6, this is the other place, the only other place, Shamgar is mentioned in the Bible. It says... In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, and in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and the travelers kept to the byways. In other words, they went off of the little dirt road and they went on a little goat trail. That was the byway. And because they were hiding from the people who had them subjected. It was the Philistines that, that had a hold of them and keeping them down. And so in, in order to protect themselves and their families... They didn't travel on the road where everybody else would go. They didn't take the easy route to get wherever they were going. They took the little goat trail that went in through the woods and through the brambles and through the briars. And they took those because just in case any of the armies of the Philistines came by or any of the soldiers came by, they needed a place where they could duck and hide real quick and be quiet so that they wouldn't have all the stuff that they did have with them if they had much taken away from them because that's what was going on. Can you imagine driving down the road and you're heading out of town and all of a sudden there's a roadblock and you pull up 
and you're getting ready to go on a camping trip, and as you pull up, there's somebody there, and they say, okay, now we want you, and they've got guns, and they say, now, open up your trunk. And you open up your trunk, and there's tents and sleeping bags, and there's a cooler filled with, with the, the cold food that you need to keep cold, and then there's the dry goods that you've got in there. And you're all happy because you got your marshmallows and your graham crackers and your chocolate bars, and you're going to make s'mores on your camping trip, and this is going to be the woohoo moment of your summer. And then somebody says, mm, you know what? We like your sleeping bag in your tent. It looks really good. I think it'll fit me just fine. And then they take all of your food, and then they take everything else that you have. And matter of fact, they say, how much gas is in your tank? And they siphon all the gas out of your tank. Now you have to turn around and go back home. That's what was happening to Israel. They're, they're being taken advantage of at every turn. And that's why we have this little verse here in regards to Shamgar. After him was Shamgar, son of Anath, who killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. Now, here's the, the crazy thing about this heroic act by Shamgar. Do you know what an ox goad is? Yeah, it's, it's not something that we really have hanging around the house these days. We don't use it a lot because we don't really have that many ox around. By the way, the reason they had an ox goad is because th they used the ox to plow, and they would work in tandem together. You remember when Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, back in Matthew chapter 11? And he's, what he's doing is, what Jesus would do is he would see something like two ox plowing together, and, and he would say, all right, you see that? You see those? And, and the disciples were walking with them, and there's these two big ox plowing. But I suspect at the moment that Jesus gave that, that little thing, my take my yoke upon you, is because he's looking at a, a, a mature ox, bull ox, with an immature bull ox that they're training how to plow. And so they would hook the yoke up on, on both of them, but most of the weight was carried by the big, mature bull ox. He would be the one be pulling the plow and doing the work, and the, the yoke would be on the little one so that he would get the idea of what it's about, and he would learn how to work the field next to the big guy. And that's why Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you, for, my, for the burden is easy and light. That's what Jesus was doing. He's giving them a, a message there. And so, but what we don't know is that Shamgar's the guy behind the ox, and he's got an ox goat, and he's plowing the field. He's a farmer. He's a dirt farmer, and he's plowing the field, ready to plant a crop, and he's got an ox goat. Now, an ox goat is a pole that's about eight feet long, and on, if, if you had a really fancy one, on one end is a brass tip on it, and it's, it's a point, and it has a little bit of a hook on it, because on the back of a ox, you hit him right above the heel with that ox goad, and it makes that ox pick its foot up, and it places it back down. And that's how they get him to start moving. They don't have these things that you whip on them. They have things to control them. And so they would just poke them a little bit. They'd lift that foot up, and then, of course, everybody else's foot would start going, and that's how you got the team moving. And so they used the ox goad to get the ox to move in the right direction. It also had a little piece on it, maybe on the other end, 
often they did, and it looked like maybe a little bit of a shovel. It came around a little bit of a point because when the plow would be plowing and a lot of dirt would get piled up on it, he would take the, that ox goat, he'd turn around, and he'd scrape the dirt off of it so he could do a better job of plowing. So the ox goat had two purposes. Primary was to clean the plow and to help the ox go in the right direction and do the right thing. But the other thing that he would often use, because that ox goad had a sharp point on the end, he would defend his ox or other livestock from other creatures that came in as predators to kill. And so he could use it to kill. Now, you've got a picture of the thing that Shamgar is going to use to slay 600 Philistine soldiers. These aren't like Boy Scouts, you know, running around in the woods going, woohoo, look at me, I'm rolling in poison oak. I only know they did that because that's what I did when I was in Boy Scouts. And there's a reason why I never became an Eagle Scout. Poison oak. So you have 600 Philistines. And these are soldiers. These are trained soldiers. They carry swords. And they carry shields. And a lot of them also carried spears. There may have been some that carried bow and arrows. Now, there's a lot of speculation because there's not a lot to tell us in this verse about what happened. All we know is he killed 600 Philistines. Some people, scholars, I call them, they're the guys I read, some of those guys said he was kind of like Samson. The Spirit of God came upon him and he went out and in one battle killed 600 Philistines. Other scholars seem to think that what he probably did is he took his time and he would wait for a smaller band of soldiers to come along, and then he would dispatch, you know, like 20 or 30 of them at a time with an ox goad, of all things. But in any, in any case... God's Spirit was upon him. Now, it doesn't tell us that God's Spirit was upon him, but we do know that the Spirit of God came upon all of the judges. When they needed to do something, the Spirit of God would fall on them and empower them to do what God was calling them to do to release Israel from all the tyranny that they were under at that moment. And so the Spirit of God would come on, like, say, Samson, or Ehud, or Othniel, or whoever it is, Deborah and Barak, the Spirit of God would fall on those judges, and because Shamgar is also a judge who brought um, peace to the land, we can know that the Spirit of God fell upon him as well. And so he took his ox goad, and whether he did it over a period of time or he did it at one time, it doesn't matter, but the Spirit fell on him, and he killed soldiers with a stick. He didn't have a shield. He didn't have a sword. He didn't have a spear. All he had was an ox goad. And it probably, you know, I don't know if he stood out in the, the field spinning that thing and doing all these little ninja moves with it. He might have. I do that a little bit. Walking along with my nine mil. I'm looking for snakes, of course. So. 
But good old Shamgar, he took an ox goat and he killed the 600 Philistines. Now, the story of Shamgar is of how God will allow people to feel overwhelmed. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine just Shamgar coming along, carrying his ox goad, and he runs into a band of soldiers. Let's just say it's 25 or 30 soldiers. And he's already killed, like, their cousins and brothers. And they're going like, that's him right there, that's the dude. <laughs> Pull out the big swords, they get their shields up, and they're going to go like, let's take care of this guy. Can you imagine the, the overwhelming feeling of standing there by yourself with nothing to help you except an ox goad? And then the Spirit of God empowers you to do what he's called you to do, and you are ripping them. I'm going to tell you something. This is violent and bloody. Don't kid yourselves. He didn't knock them on the head and knock them out and drag them over to the river and kick them in and let them drown. He was impaling them, and he was spilling blood on the ground. He was trying to kill each and every one of those, those Philistines as quickly as he could, and he was... He was a menace to that army. And he just laid them out, and he killed them. And there was a lot, a lot, a lot of blood spilled because of Shamgar. And, he, and here's, here's the thing about Shamgar, is that, you know, he, he's got this thing going on, and it's just, it's okay. Hey, if you drop your pencil, I'll come pick it up for you too. He's, he is... So in tune with what God wants him to do that he, at the moment that he becomes overwhelmed, the Spirit of God empowers him to do the thing that he's called to do. And Shamgar only did it because God gave him the ability to do it. Now, he, here's the other thing we look at Shamgar, and we say he was ill-equipped to handle the task at hand. He didn't have anything. He didn't have a horse or a donkey. He didn't have you know, a bunch of other people coming alongside of him and helping him to do the job. It was him alone with his ox goat. And so he was overwhelmed and he was ill-equipped to do the thing that laid before him. But because God said, I'm going to empower you, I'm going to help you, he took the very little stuff that he had and he gave it to God. And because he was willing to be faithful to God and give the little bit that he had to God, God turned around and said, I'm going to do great things through you. There, there's some things we pick up from, from Shamgar. He was able to do what he did because there were a couple of things going in his favor. Number one, somewhere in his life, he said, I've had enough. I'm sick and tired of my life looking like it looks. These Philistines, I, my mom and dad worship these idols. My grandparents worship these idols. I'm sick and tired of it. I'm going to follow God because I believe God has something better for me than what anybody else could ever give to me. There's nothing in this world that will compare with the greatness and the mighty things that God has to offer me. God gives me peace. God gives me serenity. God gives me comfort. God gives me hope. God brings me joy in the deepest sorrows of my life. God comes along beside me and helps me when I'm weak. And when I need a little bit of encouragement, he brings someone along 
who at the right moment gives me a word of encouragement. That's what our God does for us. Even when we're ill-equipped and we're overwhelmed, he steps up and comes beside us because we walk in faithfulness to God because of the righteousness that we're walking in. The second thing that Shamgar had going for him is he knew who his God was. Don't be fooled by the little bit that was spilled about him. Shamgar, he wasn't a guy that was just going like, duh. He was a guy that understood. He looked around. He saw the stuff that was around him. He saw the magnitude of the mountains and the the Lebanon cedars. He saw the the Jordan River. He saw the fish of the sea. He saw the wild animals. He saw the night sky. And he knew that his God was greater than anything that could ever come at him. And he knew that his God would lead him into victory because that's where he put his faith and his trust was in his God. Even though he only had a little bit to offer to God, it wasn't a lot. And by the way, Shamgar, he only has like 22 words said about him in the entire Bible. That's 22 more words than I will have said about me in the Bible. And he became a man, guess what? Little boys in in Israel did after they heard about the mighty deeds of Shamgar. They were running around with miniature ox goads going, I'm Shamgar the mighty. I'm going to impale you with this, and I'm going to cut you from your groin to your gullet. They all wanted to be like Shamgar. He was the new national hero. He was the guy that actually did something, and he brought peace to the land. He saved Israel. Why did he save Israel? He saved Israel because he was willing to take the little that he had and give it to God and let God do what God does best, mighty things. Here's the difference between us and Shamgar or us and Samson and all the rest of those judges. When those judges were given a task by God, they were called to do something. God nudged them, pushed them, encouraged them to step in to the ministry of saving Israel. What God did was he would bring his Holy Spirit to empower them at the moment that they needed to be empowered to do the job that God called them to do. So, They weren't walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. They were walking as just men and women with nothing until the moment. Then it came. We, however, who walk in faith in Jesus Christ, who call Jesus our Lord and our Savior, those of us who have put our faith in Christ for eternity, Jesus said in John chapter 14, that he would send, when he went back to his Father in heaven, when he ascended into heaven, I'm going for your benefit, he said, because when I go, what's going to happen is I'm going to send another helper, the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit comes, he will be with you and he will be in you forever. Not for a day, not for a week, not for a month, not for the rest of your life. Forever. 
Do you know how long forever is? Forever. I don't know how long it is, but it's a long time. We've had, we have this beginning, and we call it our birthday. And we celebrate birthdays, right? Like today is your birthday. 27 again. Awesome. Boom, right there. Happy birthday. So we celebrate this birthday because that's the day we came into this world and the doctor smacked us on the backside and said, welcome to life. It's going to be like this for the rest of your life. Get used to it. You're going to get hit and knocked around. And you go like, okay, I can handle that. I'll do that. And so that's the way we live life. And, and, and so, but we, when we first came into this world, we didn't think about eternity like Maggie. She's thinking about it right now going like, come on, dad, there's eternity waiting. Let's get after it. But we don't think about eternity when we're that little because we, we just don't have those thoughts. And when we're this little over here, we don't think about eternity at all. But when we get to be that big, <laughs> then we start to think that there's more to life than the 72 years that I might live if God sees fit. Because when we die, that's when it all starts. This is just the preview. It's like 75, 80 years, maybe 95 if you're lucky. There are some people who live up into their hundreds now. And, and what's going to happen is, is that when you leave this life and you step into the next one, you're going to go, now I am living. What I experienced before was just kind of like preschool. You go from, it's like the difference between preschool and a graduate program. You're going like, Wow. And, and what God says is that my spirit's going to be with you in the graduate program when you leave this earth and you go to be with me in glory. The Holy Spirit's still going to be in you. I know that's not too exciting, but I get, I get a little, you know, it, it gets me going a little bit. Now here's what I want you to get about the story of Shamgar. It's the story of your life, and it's the story of my life. And what we do a lot in our lives is we find ourselves in difficult circumstances. Jesus never promised one time that your life was going to be easy. When you came to faith in Christ, he never said, hey, you know what? Life is going to be simple now. Sit back, relax, I've got this. Matter of fact, what Jesus told us is, is, you know, the world's going to hate you and they're going to try to kill you and they're going to make fun of you and you're going to feel like you're swimming upstream all the time. He said, but don't worry because they did that to me before they did it to you and I'm going to help you get through it. Life isn't going to be easy. Life is going to throw curveballs. Life is going to get messy. It's going to get ugly. It's going to get sick. And we're going to have to deal with all of it. But the good news is, is that I am going to be with you. And so what God has made his promise to do is he has his omnipotent power that is always available for us. And when we cry out to God and we say we need help right now, he manifests his omnipotent power to us and we get to enjoy him coming alongside of us and helping us in our time of need, just like Shamgar. Shamgar's not the guy that 
when, when they were putting the armies together in Israel, each tribe, Judah, Benjamin, Dan, the rest of the tribes, when they're putting their tribes together and they were picking their men to serve in the army and their Shamgar standing there with his ox goat, they walked by and they looked at him and they laughed. It was like the day I showed up for a seventh grade football. My shoulder pads hung out to there like that. My pants came up to about here. And the coaches said, don't you want to be the water boy? And I looked down and I go, no, I'm a football player. They thought I was more like the football. But here's the interesting thing about all of that stuff is that God finds great glory through demonstrating his power in the things that are weak in the things that are not. Matter of fact, I've read this recently, but it, it's worth bringing back to our attention, 1 Corinthians 1, 18, and carrying on. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where there is, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, what God wants to do, and all God is, is all he is looking for is he's looking for the faithful man, he's looking for the faithful woman, he's looking for the faithful high school, middle school student who is willing to stand up and say, I don't have a lot to give to you, and my pedigree isn't that good at all, and our family tree has two branches in it, and it, I don't, I'm not the smartest guy that's going to walk the planet, and I'm not the best-looking guy, and I'm not the most powerful guy, but God, I'm going to tell you right now that the little bit that I have, I am going to give all of it to you for you to use as you will and as you please for your glory. And do you know what God will do with that? God will take what one person is willing to do for him and he will turn it around and he will change an entire culture with one person. One person. The problem is, is that we are the guys that want to come and we want to say to God, I would like to do that but I don't have anything. I don't have any resources. I don't have any abilities. I don't have any skills. I don't have any education. I don't have any training. I can't speak in public because when I do, everything gets dried up in the back of my throat and I spit dust. I, 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 I get tongue tangled and I say my words backwards and I'm afraid people are going to laugh at me and make fun of me. 
Well, that is the folly that Jesus is looking for, the foolishness that God wants. All it has to do is be a faithful heart that's willing to step up because every Christ follower has been given a gift. You and I have both received gifts from God when we stepped into salvation, the regeneration of our heart. He placed the Holy Spirit not just with us, but in us. And at that moment, when he gave us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gave to us gifts. Not only did he give, give us gifts, but he also, when he created, when God created you and knit you together in your mother's womb, he knew who he was making. He didn't take a vacation. He wasn't taking a time out. He didn't go to a, for a coffee break when you were created. He knew you intimately in your mother's womb as he put you together. And he put you together the way that you are for his glory and for his purposes. And so every talent, every skill, every ability, he has given those for you. And when you become a Christ follower, now he will take those skills, abilities, and talents mingled with the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to you, and he will create something very unique and powerful through you for his kingdom and for his glory. That's what he wants. That's what he has for you. Call your name. Your new name now is Shamgar. You don't have much, and the little you have, you're going to give to God. You don't have a great family pedigree, but the, the person that you are, you know who you are, and you're giving yourself to God. Here's what it says in Romans 12. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to each of us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, what God is saying that when he gives you a gift, he wants you to use it fully to your full ability. He wants you to go out and con continue to grow and increase in the gift that he's given to you. He doesn't want you to try and go get a gift that he hasn't given to you. He's saying, what are you doing trying to seek that gift? I didn't give that to you, so leave it alone. I want you to build on the gifts that I've given to you because when you use those gifts and you let me empower you with those gifts, your skills, your abilities, and your talents, we will change the culture around you. Let me um, just finish off with this. I want to remind you of one of our 12 disciples, original 12 disciples, the apostles. His name is Thomas. He is similar to Shamgar in the fact that he does not have an impressive pedigree or family tree. There's not a lot of ink spilled in the New Testament about Thomas, and the little that is spilled is probably not that flattering because we all know Thomas by the name of what? See, I didn't even have to tell you. Already knew doubting Thomas because he was not going to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead until he could stick his fingers in the, in the nail wounds in his hands and in his feet until he could put his hand in the spear that was thrust into Jesus' side. Until that moment, I, until I can actually do that, I don't believe Jesus is raised from the dead. And then Jesus came one day, 
one evening, it was dark outside, all the disciples eating a meal together, huddling around. Women folk are talking about the times that they've seen Jesus. Peter and John are talking about it, and Thomas is like, mm-mm, mm-mm, not going to believe it, not going to go down that road, nope, mm-mm, not till I see it. And then all of a sudden, bam, there's Jesus standing right in front of Thomas. He goes, hey, Thomas, what's up? And he's like, <gasps> hi, Jesus, I didn't know you were alive. Here, stick your hand in there. You want to, right here? I'm not going to pull my shirt up because that will scare people. But thrust your hand in my side. Go ahead. Here I am. And, and that's about all we know. He's, he makes this great declaration right there. My Lord and my God. That's the declaration he makes. That moment changed everything for Thomas. Because you know what happened to Thomas? You have to actually go and research and start looking into history books on church history because the New Testament doesn't write. Another thing about Thomas after the book of Acts. Nothing. But because of who he was and he understood who God called him to be, he took the little that God had given to him and he said, here it is, what do you want me to do? And by the Spirit of God, he was led to the, to the country of India where he spent his life making disciples for Jesus in India, there's an entire province in India that has, it has the very church building that, Tom, that Thomas built for them to gather in to have their meetings. They built a building in India. It still stands in that province today. And, and the influence of Thomas carries on to this very day. When we lived in Canada, you've heard me talk about the people in our church. There was a, a man and a wife. They got both of them remarried. Both of their spouses had passed away. His name was John Thomas. He, his, his stepson's name was Thomas John. They were from this province in India. And John Thomas, the dad, when I sat in his house and I talked with him, I said, how long have you been, how long has your families been Christians in India? And he said, for eight generations. My family has been following Jesus for eight generations. And do you know why? Because Doubting Thomas took the message of salvation, the good news of Jesus, to India. And because of Thomas, John Thomas came to faith in Christ because his mom and dad believed and his grandparents and his great-grandparents and his great-great-great-great-great-grandparents they all believed. The entire town, everybody he knew had a biblical name like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Bartholomew, Judas, the good one, Peter, Paul. They all had biblical names because there was a man who came and brought the message of good news of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. And he's the guy we call Doubting Thomas. He's like Shamgar. He stood up and he said, I don't have much, but what I have, I'm giving it all to you. What do you want me to do with the little that I have? And when you take the little that you have and you give it to God, he takes the little you have and he does much with it. Are you willing, are you willing today 
to make a stand up, draw a line in the sand and say, I don't have much, but what I do have, I'm going to give it to you, God. And I want to see what you're going to do through me. It may not be anything spectacular or it might be absolutely earth shaking. I want to serve you. I want to be like Shamgar. I want to serve you. I want to save. I want to see people get saved. I'm going to end off with where I kind of started. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. We're going to step in and we're going to start uh, singing some songs in our act of worship. And if God has spoken to you this morning and says, you know what? You've been holding back from me. You've not even given me the little bit that you've got. You've got a little bit, but you're holding it all for yourself. You're holding your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your, your skills. You're holding your family. You're holding your goods. You're holding your life. You're holding everything you've got. You've not given it all to me. You've not, and you will not see what I can do until you're ready to give it to me. I want to encourage you this morning that during the songs as the Spirit of God moves you, you can come up here. You don't even need to get down and kneel and pray. You can stand up here and you can just pray to God. But you are saying, by coming up here today, I am going to publicly declare that I am like Shamgar. I am going to be like Thomas. And I'm going to give the little bit that I've got to God today. And I want everybody else to see it so they can hold me accountable to it. Father, we thank you that you have given us such great examples as Shamgar. You didn't spill a lot of ink on him, but the little that you did spill on him was absolutely magnificent. And it teaches us such great lessons about just taking the little things we have, even in the face of great adversity, and you'll do great things through us. And so we thank you that your glory might be seen and dispelled through us as we serve you with all that you've given to us. Speak to our hearts. Move us to action, God. Don't let this be one of those sermons that we go, that was really good, and then we forget about it tomorrow, and we keep going on, holding on to our little bit and not giving it to you. So take the small stuff of our lives, and there are no small people in your kingdom, and grow us to be mighty men and women of valor for your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.